what's up guys welcome back to the legendary habitat podcast hope everybody's been doing well we're jumping back on here with my good buddy brad harper of harper growing solutions uh if you guys remember he was on here uh back on episode number three we talked about soil tests um some different alternatives to uh some you know glyphosate we talked about uh regenerative agriculture, different food plot techniques, all that different stuff. So go check that out uh, if you haven't. And so, yeah, this episode we're going to be covering spring tree plantings, uh, you know, what to plant, some different uh, tree recommendations, uh, planting techniques, tree care, the whole nine yards, all that stuff. We get into a little bit of frost seeding, um, switchgrass, clover, stuff like that. So, yeah, this one's a fun one. I know I learned a couple things, uh, definitely some things to kind of start thinking about as we get closer to spring. Uh, it's you know full-on habitat season right now so hopefully you guys are getting out there firing up the chainsaws or uh, you know thinking about uh, spring tree plantings or uh, you know spring uh, food plots so I know I've been pretty busy last couple weeks uh, I was down in Kentucky if you guys follow me on social media I was down there on a great property down there uh, consulting did a little bit of cutting and then I was uh, kind of back in Michigan for a little while and uh, so yeah, I've been really busy uh, consulting. I really appreciate uh, all the business from all my, my clients. Uh, it's been awesome. I love uh, meeting, meeting new guys and, and helping them achieve their, uh, their habitat and hunting goals. So if you guys are still interested in having me come out to your property this year, uh, please get a hold of me. Um, I am kind of scheduled out a little ways right now um, with a lot of my long-term clients right now that I'm trying to get in first. Um, so yeah, if you guys are interested, feel free to reach out, get any questions, reach out and, uh, yeah, I appreciate the support and let's dive into this podcast. Well, Hey Brad, are you there? Yes, sir. All right. Well, thanks a lot for coming back on here. It's been a little bit, but, uh, glad you could come back on. Excited to, uh, jump into a couple different topics we've been talking about recently. So yeah, absolutely. Anytime. Yeah, so uh, what you been up to lately? Just been hanging out, doing some different stuff in the uh, ag world? Yeah, a bunch of ag stuff, a lot of meetings, trying to do do my learning. <laughs> uh, but that's about it, really. Kind of kind of slow, but nice. You know, this is technically somewhat of our off-season, yep. so kind of be a little bit slower, but that's about it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I know we kind of been recently talking about uh, a lot of different things kind of preparing for this coming habitat season and spring planting, tree plantings, you know, screening, all that stuff. Uh, we've both been kind of getting questions from different clients or customers or been seeing stuff on social media. So I know we both wanted to kind of jump on and try to answer as many questions as we can and then uh, get guys thinking about spring tree plantings and uh, kind of going over all that stuff. So um so yeah i don't know we can kind of jump into you know obviously spring tree plantings um those are going to be coming up so if you wanted to kind of give a little uh update on where you're at with those and what guys should be thinking about for what to order um of course every property is different soil conditions stuff like that um i don't know if you kind of want to touch on you know planning all that out and preparing uh what trees are going to be best for each individual landowner's property yeah absolutely um like you said i know um been getting a lot of questions on that and just on social media it's just constant questions with especially with a lot of the conservation um districts those sales coming up and kind of going through all that so i i guess probably best place to start would be exactly like you're saying like you know are you are you a little higher and drier or or possibly a little lower um, got some wet areas. I think that's a good place to start as far as trying to figure out where to start with whatever job they're doing. I know a lot of the, the questions I get asked are always, you got questions for screening and then you got questions as far as more food and, uh, you know, habitat goes and kind of trying to split those up into two different categories per se. Yeah, for sure. And therefore like screening, you know, I, I think my biggest thing with that is, is just making sure that you got diversity because if we can put you know a few different types of spruce together a couple different types of fur um that that way if you have a disease like what happened with the blue spruce come in you don't lose your whole screen 
you know, you might have to replace a few trees here and there, but that's a whole lot better than having to, you know, get your whole screen that might have been growing for 5, 10, even 20 years down the road right. wiped up. That if you kind of cover yourself by having those different varieties, that you'll be fine. I'd rather, you know, go through and have to replace 10 rather than 100. Yep, yep, for sure. So I, I think that's huge, and that kind of goes back to everything that we're going to be talking about tree-wise um, is having that diversity, whether it's the screening or even if you're talking about, like, oaks or um, chestnuts, fruit trees, anything like that. You know, I mean, when we talk about fruit trees, uh, I always want to have a few different trees that, that give you different drop times. Therefore, you're dropping fruit from early season or possibly even before season all the way you know as far into winter as we possibly can go so yeah kind of touching on that and you know we were talking earlier with uh, a job we have coming up to where we have to do some screening and we're kind of putting in some conifer pockets so we're looking at you know throwing in some norway spruce some white spruce um probably some balsam fir some fraser fir uh, we can always add some black hill spruce in there as well and then we're going to do some white pines uh and cedars so that's something that we're trying to literally put as many different varieties in there as possible um obviously without going too crazy but by having that nice mix you're going to be able to kind of cover your butt down the road uh if something does come through yep yep for sure and then obviously another thing to think about uh that we were just talking about is you know most of the properties that we're dealing with have high deer densities and so, you know, caging the, these trees that you're gonna be planting, depending on the tree, um, you know, especially white cedars, your fruit trees, uh, you know, most of those deciduous trees, you're gonna to wanna to cage. Um, you know, I, obviously we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, once you go in and do some cutting on a property, uh, or, you know, you got a logging, logging project or something, that's a great time. Sometimes you can sneak in and get in you know, your, some oak seedlings planted in there and kind of use those treetops as cages. Um, yeah. You know, that seems to work fairly well. Um, and then obviously like your white, or I'm sorry, yeah, your white cedars, um, those, you know, it just depends. I'd say, you know, what we were just talking about, I, I recently cut on this uh, same client's property. And uh, so we got a lot of canopy opened up. We got a lot more food. And obviously we've drawn a lot more deer from the surrounding properties. So that comes with a cost too, because obviously we want more deer in the property, but at the same time, deer are their own worst enemy and they're gonna eat the best and leave the rest. So, um, and then they're gonna be onto whatever is next. So if you're putting those, those new cedars in, you're still have, you still have all those deer in the property, um, they're definitely gonna be, to be uh, browsing on those cedars. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe cage most of them and maybe plant a few and just see you know what the browse is on those you might be able to get away with with uh you know not having cages on some i would say just you know try a try a couple and see what the reaction is from your deer and then kind of go from there yeah and, and i think more times than not you're gonna have to you know slide some of them cedars up in some of them treetops that are cut or or fence yep you know it just seems like if you plant a couple it's like them do find them yeah oh yeah for sure yeah you know more times than not uh if you're gonna go that route which i love cedars um uh but that's something you, you almost gotta in my mind i would treat it like a fruit tree same thing with my oaks it's like if i'm gonna go through and do that um if unless if you have a bunch of treetops like you said that works great but if not uh i would just plan on going in and fencing them that way you can do it once you get it done you know them trees are going to make it then um it's just well worth uh, the little bit of time and effort and money to make sure that you're kind of protecting your other investment of all the money money you spent on trees and time putting them in yep yep for sure um so yeah while we're on that topic i guess talk a little bit about what you're recommending to different customers as far as tree size i know we were just talking about this is this client uh that we're ordering some trees for so you know originally this client he kind of gave us a budget and um, I started putting together a lot of trees and obviously you can if you've got a, a fairly good sized budget you can buy quite a few small trees um, so I guess what you have to think about is how much do you first of all have time for in order to plant it, it takes a lot of time to not only plant trees but then you got to go through and cage them too so um, kind of 
if you want to go through what you recommend to guys as far as your budget, your tree size, you know, what you what kind of resources and time you have actually to get these trees all planted before uh, it's too late and they start, you know, dying before you can get them in the ground. Yeah, exactly. So that's something that depending on the property and kind of how that lays out and what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, with screening, uh, that's where we really try to push to go with bigger ones because therefore they're already way ahead and I mean years ahead that you can get those in the ground and, and get that jump out of those. But yep. then if you're putting in conifer pockets, um, that's something we can go a little bit smaller with. So then therefore we can you know kind of save money there and be able to get a lot more trees as well as like, you know, if you're just trying to plant trees for diversity reasons, um, you know, if you're mainly hardwoods and you opened up some areas and now you want to try to get some conifers in there or vice versa, if you got a bunch of pines on the property and you open up some area and you want to try to get some, maybe some oaks or maples in there, um, you know, that, that kind of comes into play there as well. But I think that just really trying to think about where you want screening, you go with the bigger ones and where you're doing those pockets and in diversity plantings that you can get away with a lot smaller tree and you know get a lot more in and um go from there but then that kind of brings up the same topic of well do i spring plant bare root or do i fall plant potted trees yep and i've said it multiple times i mean i've just had such bad luck with spring planting bare root especially like look back at the last couple summers we've had to where it's been just a crazy drought especially by me i don't know obviously everywhere is different but by me it's been three years in a row of a pretty bad drought yeah so you're spring planting those bare roots your success rate is going to be pretty low compared to if we get in there more towards the fall and you're planting a tree that already has an established root system now you got those fall rains the winter um and the spring rains to where that root is acclimated and you from the time that you plant it you got six seven eight nine months before you even hit that drought, that tree is going to be able to get through that compared to that bare root is going to really struggle. So looking at success rates, I think doing a fall planting is going to be much higher, but then too, rather than try to calculate trees or anything, it's like, well, what's your budget for trees? Just take that same number and let's just buy potted. I know you're obviously not going to be able to get near as many, Right. But then know that you're going to have a lot higher success. You're not going to have to come back through and replant and fill in gaps. Yep. So, you sure. know, let's not spend more money. Let's just take whatever dollar that we had in mind and let's just put that towards some pot. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Spring bare roots are, are fine in, in some areas or a lot of areas. Um, and you can get away with that. But that's uh, something to definitely think about uh, whether you have access to water or not um, and kind of. You know what? What's your soil like? I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, it's always that, uh, probably a question that I get the most, honestly. Yeah. Now, with a lot of these trees, uh, I know when we've been doing these different tree planting pro- projects, we're uh, doing the root dipping on them. Um, yeah, if you want to talk a little bit about what product we're using, how we're root dipping, um, the importance of it, obviously giving these trees a little bit of a jump start when we're putting them in. Yeah, and that that uh we've been doing that on everything um you know whether we're planting miscanthus uh any type of tree um we are root dipping that just because we've seen such a huge success rate jump um you know we went from i'm going to say on average it was between 60 to 70 percent before root dipping to now we're you know right around that 90 percent success rate after root dipping yeah Uh, and we're using the plot doctor dry product um it's a carbon-based fertilizer, and that's where, guys, too, uh, a question I get a lot is, well, hey, I, I didn't think I was supposed to fertilize this seedling or this fruit tree the first year. Well, that's where that's true in a sense, depending on what you're using. You know, that's kind of more for the conventional salt-based granular fertilizer that a lot of times you don't want to fertilize those with that just because there's a lot of salt in there, and most of the time that's high nitrogen, and that's where you don't want to do that. Um, and that's why we use Clot Doctor Dry because it's it's lower nitrogen, it's not salt based, so we're able to uh, three ounces of that for a one gallon of water, and you can really get a lot of trees or miscanthus planted with that. Yep. Um, but you're able to basically put nutrients right at the roots with that, 
and right in the hole immediately. So that thing can not only relieve some stress from that hole planting, uh, but initially you're going to have nutrients there right then, right there, and that plant can just take off. Um, that's kind of the idea behind that, and we've seen really good results with that. Yep, for sure. Um, so what's the kind of the follow-up to with the foliar? So you, you, you planted your tree, you rip-dipped it, and then what are you typically coming, when are you typically coming back and, and uh, re-fertilizing those trees? Yeah, um, normally when we're planting, regardless of what time or what, whatever we're planting when we get done root dipping we always have extra so then what we'll do is we'll strain that liquid that way if you got little chunks of roots or whatever in there we'll strain that out and put that in a backpack and then we'll go through anytime from two to four or five weeks later and we'll just you know do a little ring around each tree with a backpack that way you're technically getting two applications yep. out of root dip and you're not wasting any so that, that works really well um now, normally what we'll do is either right at planting, you can root dip it, put that tree right in the ground, and then we'll put some uh, Plot Dr. Calcium and Plot Dr. Foliar in a backpack, and it's just a couple ounces of each. We'll go a really long ways when you're doing that. And we're just, you know, like let's say if you're planting a one-gallon plant, that root ball is technically only about four or five inches in diameter. So you don't need to fertilize much more outside of that. We want to go a little bit. That way, when those roots start to grow, they can catch some of that fertilizer coming down. But we'll just go through and backpack those right after planting. And then that way, at least you'll get some calcium there. You'll get some more nutrients that are actually in the soil, not just on the roots from the dip. Yep. And then that way, that gives you, you know, some time to come back then and, and have a little bit of leeway, too, when you come back with the rest of the root dip. Um but by doing that, that's where I, th I think we've really seen that jump. I mean, not only are we doing that root dip, but we're getting those other nutrients right on the soil, right around that plant. So next couple of rains, it's going to, you know, wash that in and allow that plant to take those up. Yep, for sure. We can get that root system established uh, first and then get the rest of the growth started after that. Exactly. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, kind of moving on from conifers, um, and screening kind of to the fruit tree side of things. I know a lot of guys, you know, they see fruit trees on properties that are producing, or obviously, you know, we've all hunted over those awesome um, apple trees that, you know, they've got scrapes underneath them and just all kinds of deer activity. Um, and a lot of guys want to get those fruit trees um, on their property, but I know some guys, I've got different clients that are either they've bought some and they've just had bad luck with them the deer have eaten them or they've died and you know, there's all these different situations and now they're kind of they're scared to make that that jump and that other um, investment to buy more what would you say to clients as far as um, you know what trees are your favorite and then kind of tree care planting process on those to make sure that uh, you know we're trying to protect that investment for the long run yeah I think uh, overall to definitely do some research to find out, you know, what varieties those are um, and, and kind of how those overwinter and or what rootstocks they're on. Yep. Probably the biggest problem that I've seen is we get either some, some varieties that are more for southern climates or, or you get rootstocks that are for southern climates. Um, so, therefore, like what I like to look at is, is like what I run is commercial varieties for Michigan. Therefore, we know that rootstock is for here. We know that varieties for here, and therefore, we know we don't have to worry about, you know, that dying over winter or not bearing fruit at all. Yep. Um, and that's kind of really what I try to focus on because if they're planting them in orchards here for farmers, that's we know that's going to work for our deer. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, as far as uh, kind of planting and stuff, I, I think one thing that does get overlooked a lot is kind of keeping aware of where your cedars are on properties um i know it's not a terribly huge deal but that is something to keep in mind when you're when you are planting fruit trees from cedar rust if you have a bunch of cedars nearby or you know maybe just in uh, one spot that maybe you want to stay a little bit away from those when you are planting those fruit trees now sometimes like we have a property that we've been working on that it's just full of cedars well that's fine and that is what it is we can't really get away from it we're still planting fruit trees but we are going to plan on going in with a fungicide every year 
just to try to help prolong that and, and keep that away. So that's something to think about. I think that might uh, get overlooked a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And then as far as like, you know, the whole planning process with that, I, I think just kind of going over that quickly, uh, just digging a bigger hole than what you really need, kind of softening up that dirt for those trees, especially if they're bare root. Um, and just making sure, you know, all those roots are kind of pointing down. A lot of the times the, when they come bare root, I mean, you can, it's a big root system. So, you know, making sure that that hole is plenty big enough and you don't have roots that are kind of coming up the side of the hole and poking back up towards the top. Really want to take that extra time to make sure those roots are really all going down and laying in there nicely. Um, and again, having a bigger hole, I, I've seen a lot of lot of times where that really does make a big deal especially if you have kind of tighter soils whether it's maybe a little bit of clay or high magnesium that just loosening up that dirt around there a little bit more will really help that tree to get acclimated and really push some growth faster than if you didn't you know if you're digging a hole just as small as you can just so you don't have to worry or you don't have to you know have that extra time or or effort and just slapping that tree in well then you might have you might see it where it does take a little bit longer to acclimate before you really start pumping growth yep. so you know them extra few minutes to just to ensure that it really does go a long ways yeah um, another thing too that i've learned is um making a square hole versus a round hole um, yep. for getting roots to actually you know typically those roots will kind of keep growing around in a circle where if you can actually get them to kind of hit a corner then they'll actually want to expand and, and take root um, a little bit quicker obviously the quicker you can get those roots established especially with a fruit tree the, the quicker you're gonna that tree's gonna start producing fruit typically am, am i right about that yeah exactly and that's something i got i'm even guilty of that over and over i know square holes are much better and i know you're in the moment you're thinking how many trees you have to plant and you're trying to hurry up i get that yeah but that you know maybe just some extra two shovelfuls to where not only are you opening that hole up bigger but you're kind of squaring that off in one way or another as far as, you know, just, I mean, it doesn't have to be a perfect square, but if rather than just trying to dig this, you know, circular hole, yep. just a couple shovelfuls will make a big difference. Sure. Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about different uh, drop drop times. times. Um, what would you say as far as, how many of each trees and kind of where to put those i mean obviously we talk about diversity and um you know i mean i think ultimately if you can put those later drop time um drop time trees you know in those micro plots or staging areas you know somewhere where you've kind of got you know closer to bedding stuff like that where you can have that kind of uh you know pre-rut type you know late october early november drop times um, I think if you can have another mass-producing food source in there um, where it's going to concentrate those does in there, um, you know, typically a lot of times I'll find on client properties, and I've got several trees on our farm where they'll hold, you know, late into the, into the season, right into that mid-November, you know, all of them have scrapes around them, and they're just hot spots. Um, so that might be something to think about. I don't know if any other tips there. Yeah, I normally try to, I mean, kind of regardless of of anything, I always try to do at least three trees to where I'll have one crab apple, my pollinator. And then if you are trying to put, like, let's say you have a really good early season spot, well, then, you know, you can kind of do your research or ask somebody wherever you're buying your trees that, okay, hey, I, I want, you know, three or four or five trees here, and I want those to kind of be my early drops. And it's really nice with that, that you can completely play with that as far as if you have early season, mid season, late season, maybe you got, you know, maybe your destination, you want to put a few of each and just have fruit dropping all season long there. Yeah. So you do have the ability to kind of play with that a little bit, but yeah, I'm always looking at at least three. So again, you got your pollinator with the crab apple. Um, I really like the Manchurian crab. That's what we use in ag a lot. Uh, and the deer really seem to like those a lot. Uh, it makes a pretty decent sized apple for being a crab, but it does a really good job pollinating as well. So I'll normally run those, and then I can run, you know, one, two, three, however many other varieties that I want, depending on the scenario. And for the most part, when we're planting on those food plots, I mean, we're going on the north side, making sure you got enough sun. 
and I'm normally trying to put, you know, one early, one mid, one late, or, you know, two of each, whatever. I normally try to do one of each, so that way you do have fruit chopping all, all season long. But it does give you the ability to, if you do have that early season spot, or, or like you said, that rut spot, that is nice to be able to just focus on that and only put trees that are technically going to drop there. Um, one other big thing that needs to be taken into consideration is when you look up those drop dates, that's more, you know, you're really probably going to find harvest dates more than anything. Um, I did see a couple places that did have actual drop dates, but when you're looking at harvest dates compared to when that apple is going to drop, you need to kind of adjust that from anywhere from one to two weeks to even six or seven weeks later. I mean, everybody's seen those trees that still have fruit on in December. Yep. You know, you're not harvesting that fruit. You got to kind of wait till it literally falls off. So, you know, adding those couple weeks in there for the drop time is going to be pretty important as well. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a good point. Never even thought about that. Um, yeah, so what's, uh, what, as far as spacing with those, what's a kind of a good, uh, general rule or what do you like to use as far as trees you know so that you can still get good pollination for your other trees um and then spacing obviously for long term where you're not going to be you know trees are going to be grown into the next one stuff like that yeah um normally the first thing i'll ask the customer is you know are you going to be pruning these uh there's a lot of guys that do want to keep those pruned and kind of have it more like a orchard style tree rather than just letting them go yep um, and if that's the case, then we can kind of shrink those air, you know, those distances up a little bit to where if I know they're going to get pruned, I mean, we can even suck that into like 10, 12, 15 feet apart if we want. Um, if you're not going to prune, that's fine too. Uh, and I would want to push that out to probably like 20, 25 foot apart. And I, I know when you're planting those, it seems like a super long ways, but, you know, kind of think down the road of how big is that tree going to be. Right. And like you making sure that they're not growing into each other because too with a fruit tree is a little more concerning rather than a lot of other types of trees that you want to keep that good airflow in there for diseases therefore you know you'll have less disease as far as attacking the tree and or the fruit um so having that airflow in there and keeping those trees a little farther apart when they're not pruned that'll really help with that yeah for sure um yeah, so I think that covers um, a good amount of kind of fruit tree 101, some different planting stuff. Yeah, um, I, I think I get a lot of questions too. I mean, we kind of covered that fertilizing part, but I get a lot of questions about the fencing. Um, that what I'll normally do is I put in one T-post, and as I'm taking that fence off the roll, I like to use the f- four or five foot the welded wire. Yep. Uh, basically got like a two by four inch square in there opening um and that seems to be you know kind of the best bet i know the four foot stuff i believe at tsc is like 100 130 bucks or something like that for a 100 feet roll um and that stuff is really sturdy as well as uh it's really nice to work with compared to like you know chicken wire is kind of a pain to work with right um but when you take that off the roll, I mean, I, I measure anywhere from 10 to 12 feet. That gives you roughly a four-foot circle. But that fence will keep its shape, so therefore you can only use one T-post. You don't have to use more. So that really helps as far as, you know, the work when you're putting them in and cost. Uh, that, you know, that the fence will keep its shape. You can attach that with zip ties or wire or however you want to attach that to the T-post. And then actually just recently, I started adding landscape stakes to the bottom of that fence. That way that kind of sturdies that up. But the cost of those stakes and the effort to put those in compared to adding more T-posts, I mean, that's really beneficial. You can save a bunch of money. Those stakes going really fast. But now you're really securing that fence to the soil as well as to that one T-post. And then uh, I finally found the tree tubing that i've liked uh it took forever um it's been <laughs> out of stock for the last couple of years but it's called flex guard um and that's my favorite because it's like a it's like a mesh but you can put that around the tree and the nice thing is it actually grows with the tree so other than you know those other types of tubes or those tree guards yep. a lot of the time it'll end up suffocating that tree and the tree kind of grows into it that flex guard will actually grow with that tree as it ages 
um, so you don't have to worry about that. So now you are covered, you know, for moles and bulls or uh, mice, uh, anything like that. You don't have to worry about those girdling that tree and not having to worry about that suffocate as well. So that's kind of our planning procedure that will root dip that tree, put it in square hole, and then you're able to put that dirt back on top, quick throw some, you know, calcium or other fertilizer on that we use the pot doctor stuff. Um, so you don't have to worry about high nitrogen and then we'll throw that tree guard on there and then one T post, 10 foot of fence. So it keeps that circle and a couple landscape stakes. And, um, you know, after you do a couple of them, you can kind of really get in a good groove to where, I mean, you might have five, 10 minutes of tree once you do a couple and get the hang of it, but then you're kind of protecting yourself for, from everything now. Yep. Um, I, I know there's a lot of jobs I got to go back through and um, I've been waiting to get these tree tubes. So I know guys are going to be excited that might have lost some to that mice girdling them over winter or anything like that. Now we can prevent that. Yeah, for sure. Um, while we're on the tree planting too, I know one thing I've learned from you when you're planting grafted trees is the orientation mm. of the graft is pretty important. Um, yes. So you want to cover that. Yeah, exactly. Good. I kind of forgot about that for a second. So yeah, when you're planting a grafted tree, um, what I like to do is, regardless of the situation, because it will be different, but if you think of where your high winds are going to be coming through, you know, especially because we're trying to most of the time plant in the food plot. So if if you have a big opening that might be straight west, you got to kind of orientate or, you know, move that graft to where the graft itself is going to be the opposite of those high winds. So if that makes any sense, because what happens is when that tree is loaded with fruit and you have that wind coming, that graft is always the weakest point of that tree. So if you can move that graft to where, wherever the, the best chance of high winds when that tree will be loaded is where you'll want to uh, point that graft to. So um, on the jobs that we did, we were pointing that graft to the east. Um, on all those trees because we were kind of planning for that westerly wind on that big open food plot yep yep yeah for sure no those are all some great tips to uh, make sure we're protecting those investments and you can eventually get some good fruit production out of those which is okay. the end goal <laughs> um i i think one thing to touch on too i know guys do ask a lot about pruning fruit trees um i think for when we're looking at you know, planting fruit trees for the beer, whether you're going to actually keep that pruned kind of like an orchard style or not, that's kind of irrelevant. But something to keep in mind is those trees or those branches that come out at, you know, you have a lot of them that might come out at like a 22 degree angle. Um, you, I really want like a 45 degree angle or more. Okay. Kind of great. Because if you have that really tight angle, if that tree has, or if that branch has a bunch of fruit on it, that thing's going to be a lot weaker. It's going to be able to break a lot easier. Right. So when you're pruning those, um, like let's say if you're pruning it for orchard style and kind of going to have that open concept in, in a lot shorter tree, that that's for sure the first branch you're going to want to take and then try to keep those angles, you know, bigger than a 45 coming off of that trunk. And then the second thing that you want to look at, even if you're not pruning, is like I said, airflow earlier. So if you got a couple branches that are all growing into each other, it's not going to hurt to take a couple of those out to increase that airflow. Um, and when you go to take those out, just kind of look for those ones that are, are, are growing tight to the tree um, because those will be the first ones to break under a heavy fruit load. So if you can get a couple of those out, increase your airflow, that, that'll be beneficial for not breaking branches and that'll also be beneficial for you know helping with preventing diseases um the other thing for pruning is regardless if, if you're going to keep it in orchard style or let it go is a lot of the times you'll have branches that end up competing with your central leader and we do not want that so if you like let's say your central leader that main trunk is growing straight up but now you got two or three branches that are really close to that cut those other branches down at least a foot or so um or as far as you can really that way that central leader just keeps going and doesn't have to you know worry about competing or being taken over by other branches that's something that kind of gets overlooked a lot and I, I 
when I go to people's places, we'll see, hey, look at, you know, your central leader got out taken over and now your tree's kind of growing a little funky. Hmm. Uh, that that really helps. And that's kind of a really easy one as well. And kind of same thing. It helps with airflow and everything else we talked about. Yeah, for sure. Now, does that same principle apply to, uh, you know, old apple trees that guys found on their property or have cut around and kind of want to bring back to life and, and prune them again? Yeah, I think the the best thing I've seen when you have those really old trees, I mean, you're going to have a lot of dead branches and stuff, and you're going to have just a lot, of, a lot of growth overall. I think the best thing you can do with that is just go in there, get the dead stuff out initially, and, you know, try to open that up per se as far as, you know, maybe you got a, a branch that's growing kind of funky and it's just all just a big tangled mess you know kind of look to see which ones are going to be your stronger branches or or your branches that are in a little better shape um and take the ones that aren't you know take those lesser branches but that way you kind of open that up um you can really get away with a lot as far as pruning those so i mean it it doesn't hurt to go in there and cut those i mean yeah you might lose some fruit the first year but most of the time what you'll see is you don't really lose any fruit you'll end up with probably bigger fruit right um in overall like weight tonnage you're not really going to miss out on much because whatever fruit is there will be bigger um and again you'll get that better airflow which will just help for growth and and everything else so you can really go and and cut those pretty hard and that's not going to hurt anything yeah no those are some great tips for sure because i know when I'm cutting on properties or you know visiting different properties, I find all kinds of different wild apple trees, and I try to cut around as many as I can and and yeah. uh, prune them back. And you know, typically, they'll, hopefully, they'll take back off as long as they're in, in halfway halfway decent shape. <laughs> yeah, well, so, I know too. I mean, a lot of the times, like I said, there's so much dead, and they look kind of rough. Yep. A lot of times, they're they're struggling because they get uh, outcompeted by surrounding trees for sunlight. Yep. So, Oh, it's almost kind of hard to, to tell sometimes because there's not a lot of leaf on there and it's just up as high as you can. Well, let's open up around it and then let's go in that tree and, you know, prune it up and try to open that up as well. And you're going to see a, just a huge transformation by doing that, that that tree is going to then throw a bunch of new growth um, and you can really turn that around very easily. Now, do you think it's it would be worth it on a, a mature tree that you're trying to bring back to hit it with a foliar fertilizer around the base? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I would do that even if, uh, you know, that tree is, is in good shape. And even if, it's like, it's in a windrow, it's got plenty of sun, yep. I mean, it's doing fantastic. All you're going to see with that is you'll see, um, and that this is actually a really good trial guys can do and not just take my word for it. So... If you have, let's say you got two apple trees in a windrow, let's just say, if you go and hit one with, you know, with the pot doctor and give it some calcium and some foliar on the ground, uh, you know, number one, I would just spray the whole thing underneath the drip line because all those roots, I mean, they're pretty big root systems. So you can spray that whole thing underneath that drip line. And what you'll find is those deer are going to hit that tree first, like if they were the same variety because that tree is now going to have way more calcium in the fruit. There's going to be more nutrients in that fruit that those deer can sense that. Um, it's the same thing. we talked about that previously, you know, with food plots. Yep. And spring portions and not, and you'll be able to see and watch the deer and what they do. So um, even if you have that tree that is in good shape, that's still very beneficial just because you'll be able to put more nutrients in that fruit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Great things to think about. <clears throat> um yeah so kind of moving on from that obviously we're let's see we're first week of february so spring planting is you know frost seeding guys are starting to think about that um so yeah we can kind of dive into some different different things on uh some screening options i know guys are thinking about frost seeding some switchgrass um Mm -hmm. you know obviously preparation for that's going to be huge you know i know a lot of guys want to get out and you know frost seed areas but they're not necessarily always prepped out um and obviously that's you know that's an investment you're you're planting those switchgrass is not cheap and uh you know obviously you plant it and then if it doesn't come up that good and you got a bunch of weed competition then you just wasted the whole year and um you know time is valuable and most guys like myself are get a little impatient and they want stuff to happen fast so um 
Yeah, so I, we can kind of talk about a little bit of preparation for switchgrass, and then of course we got, I love when I'm on properties right now, all the way through the winter and just before spring green up, I love going through and either myself doing it or clients doing it, go through and frost seeding all your travel corridors. Um, you know, you can, it's awesome because you don't have to really hardly do any tilling. Uh, you can go through lightly with a leaf blower, kind of take that top layer of leaves off, and then um, you got all that organic matter still there. Uh, especially if you had a mulcher come through, that's an ideal situation. You can go back through and frost seed all those, hit them with a you know a liquid fertilizer and uh, some lime, depending on your soil tests, and um, you're, you know you're ready to go for spring green up. So, um, yeah. but yeah, for as far as switchgrass, kind of dive into that real quick, and then we can kind of move on to some other frost okay. seeding techniques. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, exactly. Everything you just said for sure, um, and that's something that. Uh, I think a lot of guys are itching that they might just want to get switched in. Um, well, that's something that uh, a question I get asked a lot is, well, what if I go spray Roundup and maybe Simazine, uh, you know, after I frost seed it? And it's like, yes, you can do that. Yeah. But something that you just have to be so careful of um, because you want to push that application back as far as possible, obviously, to try to kill as much stuff as possible or however you're going to go about that. But you just need to make sure because once that switch germinates, a lot of the times you can go spray an area and you might have just killed all your switch. Mm-hmm. So that's something that be very careful of that. Um, I know it's kind of a it's kind of a tough one because if you didn't do a lot of preparation, then you're probably going to want to probably hold off because um, you can still go plant switch in June, but that way that still gives you time to you know maybe get a good kill in or something like that get some herbicide down if you wanted to do that um you know or look at like what jake ellinger's doing um planting that right in the screen and then that way that switch takes off the, the following year really well so that's a good option as well but as far as frost seeding goes i mean if you prepped your ground and you're ready to go uh this winter has been incredible for stuff like that i mean i just see that uh, all my wildflowers you know kind of doing a dormant seeding on those and uh, putting in a, some pollinator mixes here and there. And uh, I mean, those are nice because you're adding some food for the deer, obviously, but then you're, you're you know, you're making a really nice habitat for everything. I know end up getting a lot of birds um, kind of using that once that gets established and everything else that that works really nice. And, and dormant seeding that is, is probably the best bet um, trying to get those established and then when you go into like the switch or the clovers you know i really like the frost seeding rather than a dormant seeding myself but uh yeah that's definitely a perfect time to to do that like you said without having to do any sort of maintenance really you don't have to prep the ground it's just if you got open dirt you can go frost seed those and it's going to take off and do pretty well yeah Uh, i know one thing probably the biggest thing to think about with switches is you know kind of keeping an eye on it the first four or five weeks after germination because if you do see a lot of weeds coming in you still have the uh, opportunity to hit that with uh, quinclorac um, I use quinstar 4L and that's something that you can spray on that stuff I mean immediately after germination it's not going to touch your switch but it'll help with some crabgrass and foxtail a lot of broad leaves so that's, that's an option for guys that kind of don't really want to wait an extra year to make sure they do their prep um, not saying that that's necessarily the best way to go or anything, but that can save you if you do have some weeds coming up and sure. you can spread that early. So that's definitely an option. Yeah. And then uh, also while you were on the subject of uh, kind of switching the, uh, the planting method that Jake Younger had done, I've also tried that on our farm and I got second year switch now um, coming up. And my, my first year switch did really well in my screen. I had the uh, RC Big Rock and um, I've got really sandy soil, as many know, on our farm up in Manistee. And uh, I had some of that pushing, it was probably close to four feet in some sections. So it did really well, and I'm excited to see what it's going to do this year. Um, and then I also had some other switch that uh, was planted late in June, um, like you were talking about. And it still got, it was just regular, uh, regular cave and rock switch grass, and that still got, you know, two, maybe three feet in some sections. So that was pretty mm-hmm. good. Uh, of course, those were both hit with a foliar fertilizer uh, in the spring, and then I'm going to hit them back again this spring to give them another another boost. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I think 
gets overlooked. Uh, a lot of times you see here that you don't have to fertilize switch and, and yeah, you don't really have to, but especially if you got uh, a decent stand that's coming up, if you can hit that with the foliar and maybe some calcium uh, and then depending on your pH, maybe even some lime, but yep. you can hit that and give that a good jump and kind of hopefully let that get up and hopefully I'll compete some weeds. Right. That really good application that um you know that's something you hear a lot that you don't have to but it definitely helps yeah um i know another thing that we kind of been have been talking about in the last couple months is um like you've already mentioned some wildflower blends um some pollinator blends with what i've noticed uh i've got the opportunity to go to uh, jim ward's uh, property down in indiana he's got 137 acres and um he's done some really cool things down there and one of the things he's done is uh, he used to have a about a 13 acre um basically just a, a giant food plot i'm not sure if it was a food plot or an ag field but he took it out of that and actually rolled into a crp blend and uh, it was close to like a 40 different species uh, crp blend mostly kind of geared towards forbs um, and some of those were you know six seven foot tall goldenrod and partridge pea and um, just a huge diversity of, of different forbs and uh you know that that in my opinion you know, if you're looking at you know larger areas that you kind of want to convert into bedding cover um i've found that that just seems to work a lot better um as far as bedding cover other than just a pure stand of switchgrass um you know you you have got not only cover there but then you've got that whole other component of a ton of diversity in food source for forbs and stuff uh you know especially late summer getting you know early fall um, and then, you know, obviously what, what Jim Ward did, he actually went through and frosted clover, uh, right through trails, basically interconnected all through that. And, um, man, the amount of deer sign in there was just crazy. So after kind of seeing that, uh, I know I'm going to be playing around with a couple different, uh, four base pollinator blends on our farm this spring and, uh, kind of seeing how they do, do a couple different trials. Uh, I know, I think Brad, you were talking about doing that too and then uh kind of seeing how we like those and, and maybe putting something together uh if we've got enough uh guys interested in that yeah exactly i know uh, kind of what i did is I, I took the northwoods pollinator blend and i put that out uh by itself in a lot of different areas and then i kind of put my own couple mixes together as far as like a pollinator slash crp blend and that's something that uh you know once it starts coming up we'll be able to take some pictures and videos and kind of give some updates on that but it's definitely something we're playing with and i'm excited to see yeah yep i mean i think like we've we, like we've talked about is when you're managing a lot of these small properties you know if you can maximize how much food you've got on the property and at the same time it's cover um you know i think the, the better off you are as far as what i've seen i know a lot of guys are on that side of things where you don't want food in your cover but um you know when you've got uh, diversity in food uh you know deer need to eat you know five times in 24 hour period they're eating six to eight percent of their body weight um every 24 hours so you've got to have the, that food in their bedding areas um and that diversity in food obviously they're selective browsers so you know the more food we can get on a property um you know i think a lot of guys think you can't get that predictability in deer movement um but i've just seen you can still have that predictability and uh, you know really good hunting opportunities that the property set up and designed right um, and you can ultimately hold a lot more deer on the property yeah exactly so. and I, I really like that idea that it just gives you another option you know maybe you got a couple acres of pure switch over here and then you got a couple acres of, of a mix like that like a pollinator with some forms or yeah you know the nice thing is that that pollinator still has you know some clover in it you know you can mix some alfalfa in or whatever yep um, yep that there's still food in there and the deer are still going to eat a lot of those those species so that's great but you can you can still have all of those things and, and like you said rather than having a 10 acre field of switch well maybe we break that up into a couple acres of switch uh you know a pollinator blend and you got some clover trails kind of going through the whole thing and then you got a little section of food plot on one side of it i mean you can really do a lot as far as is mixing that up and having that diversity there there's a lot of cool stuff we can do oh for sure yep yep definitely uh the possibilities are are endless on a lot of 
a lot of properties. So it's just a matter of uh, putting together a plan that, that really matches the way you want to hunt and uh, you know, your overall goals. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I hope uh, hopefully we answered a lot of those questions. I know we definitely touched on quite a few of them, so that's good. I know that, like you said, we've been getting a lot of uh, email, text, phone calls because um, that is right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. It's and I'm always excited to uh, be able to kind of, if I cut on a property, I get to go through and kind of do the uh, final touches and frost seed everything, and and uh, and then you know to get to come back or, or just see pictures of it all, you know, growing up, everything when everything greens up, it's pretty sweet to kind of see that that all yeah. come together. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for coming on here. Like you said, I I think we've answered. Uh, quite a few different questions that I've been getting and hopefully this was educational for everybody it got some uh, good takeaways and uh, you know if you guys have other questions feel free to reach out to either Brad or myself and uh, we'll try to answer as many as we can um, so yeah where where can uh, people if there people are interested in, in um, your products Brad that you offer and also uh, for some spring tree orders uh, how can they get a hold of you and then um, what trees do you offer? Obviously, you, I know you offer a lot of different ones, but you can kind of broad spectrum which ones you offer. Yeah, so uh, I do, I mean, all your fruit trees. Um, playing with a few different things this year as far as, like, chestnuts, persimmons, pawpaws goes, because in the past, I know they haven't overwintered, but uh, kind of getting in touch with another guy now that's been playing with that. So that's exciting, you know, kind of see some of different varieties and uh, rootstocks for Michigan and, you know, kind of the northern climate. So we're playing with that this year. I'll, I'll have some more information on that later. But basically all your fruit trees, um, and then I have oaks, uh, I have red oaks or dogwoods, and then I have all your conifers. Um, I do a lot with fruit bushes too. I know me and you had talked about that with kind of adding some, some blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, and windrows or, or even in a food plot as that's you know, a pretty good food source and kind of helps you to, uh, again, diversify and, and utilize those plants that are a little, you know, not necessarily higher plants, but a lot, a lot of lower growing stuff that can be good food as well. So I yeah. do a lot of that as well. Um, and on Facebook, it's Harper Growing Solutions. Um, my website is harpergs.com. And you'll be able to, you know, get a hold of me on either one of those and shoot me a message or email and uh, answer any questions you got and go from there. Um, yeah, I know we're kind of doing our pre-order right now for trees and miscanthus. Um, kind of getting that started. It's going to be here before we know it. Oh, yeah. Yep, for sure. It always creeps up on us. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. right. Nice to be ahead of things. For sure. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, if you... Uh, have any other questions feel free to reach out to us and uh yeah we look forward to hearing from you guys we'll see you in the next episode thanks brad yeah you bet thanks man well thanks so much guys for listening to another episode of legendary habitat podcast i really appreciate all the listener support uh if you like this podcast and if you learn stuff uh please leave us a review on either spotify or apple podcast platforms i really would appreciate that um We're going to be having some other cool uh, guests on here in the near future. So uh, be checking back, and remember to always be a better steward of God's creation. Thanks, guys.